Welcome to GRIT, the Real Estate Growth Mindset Podcast, hosted by Brian Charlesworth, founder of Sisu. Sisu provides growth automation software for real estate. You'll hear stories from real estate thought and technology leaders, team owners, and brokers on how they grew their business in a rapidly changing industry. You'll learn how to transform your brokerage and teams into a high-performing and analytics-driven business so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Grit Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth. I'm the founder of CSU and your host of the show. And uh, super excited about today. I have York Bauer with me. York is the CEO of MoxieWorks. And York, my understanding is that you're kind of a hired gun. So uh, you've probably been at Moxie longer than you anticipated when you made the move and came in there. So York has an extensive background in the software industry. I believe you were at Microsoft and Salesforce, if I'm not mistaken, two of the biggest software companies in the world, and has done a phenomenal job in taking MoxieWorks to over 400,000 users which is as big as I know of any company in the real estate space having that many users. So congratulations on that one, York. And we'll dive in a little bit more, but is there anything else you want to share? Yeah. Well, first off, Brian, thanks for having me. I appreciate the kind words and uh, howdy to everybody out there. I actually didn't work directly for Salesforce. I worked for a company called the Taz Group, which was a Salesforce partner. But your comment about, you know, I've been at, at Moxie a while, maybe longer than I thought. It's kind of funny. I, I love to joke about Moxie being the, the overnight success that took 10 years. But I think there's a lesson in that. I think good things take time. And in particular, I love, love, love the name of your podcast, the, the grit word, big in my world. It's one of our core values at Moxie. And as you, I'm sure, are aware, maybe you've even talked about with your viewers, the Angela Duckworth definition is kind of the one I gravitate to, which is the persistence and passion for achieving long-term goals. And that's why I've stayed at Moxie for that seemingly you know, long time. It's because I am very passionate about the mission that we're on, which is to help this industry sell more homes and our role of providing some technology to hopefully help in that. So I don't see it as a long time, I guess, Brian, to, to kind of respond to that specifically. Yeah. And I get up every morning because I'm still passionate about what we're trying to accomplish. And I don't think we'll ever be done, not just Moxie, I'm talking about as an industry, we'll never be done improving how we, yeah. we accomplish that. So there you yeah, go. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up grit because there's a reason that that's the name of this. And in my opinion, every entrepreneur, if they're successful, they have grit. Absolutely. And if, you know, if they don't have the grit, they're no longer in the business, right? <laughs> because they gave up a long time ago. So no question. And I think we're about to go through a Darwinistic cycle on that yet again, as the economy does, you know, there are expansion periods where stuff looks easy uh, and probably is too easy, but it's the people with grit that not only survive, but thrive in a downturn that calls out the people without grit. So, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of economic downturns any more than anyone else is, but I do think they're healthy. It's almost like fire in the forest. You know, it, it leads to new growth. It's part of the natural cycle. And, and I feel like we're headed into a period like that, that for those of us with grit is going to actually be a positive. 
Yeah. In my opinion, this is when really the, the strong people gain market share and a lot of the weaker people disappear. Bingo. Um, Absolutely. So, At all levels. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. You know, as we look at this real estate market, 2008, we all know, was a devastating time for the real estate market in the United States. And I had just purchased Housemaster Home Inspections at that time. So I was indirectly affected by owning one of the largest home inspection companies in the United States in North America. And I think as I look back in time, real estate cycles have typically been about eight years. So back in 2016, everyone was like, oh, the market's going to crash, market's going to turn, just because of the timing, you know, winter is coming, everyone was saying, right? So, (laughs) you know, Tony Robbins phrase, right? Winter is coming. So, but now here we are in 2022, six years later than that, and probably six of the biggest years ever in the history of our country in real estate. And now all of a sudden, you know, I think even a year ago, everyone was like, oh, it's not going to slow. It's not going to slow too much, you know, supply and demand. The demand's too high. There's not enough houses. And now all of a sudden I've seen it go to where very quickly, my wife runs a real estate team of 60 agents that will do a thousand transactions this year, assuming, you know, they keep at the pace they're on. And it's really interesting, though, for me to see that now with interest rates rising, obviously, there's a lot of concerns. There's a lot of question, a lot of questions out there. And I think a lot of people saying, what should I be doing? And Rourke, you're probably closer to anybody to a lot of brokerages, a lot of broker owners. But like, what advice would you have for any business owner in this industry at this time yeah. No, and, and by the way, great summary of how we got here. We all lived through that. I started at Moxie, by the way, in 2012. So immediately post the period you're talking about, but uh, certainly learned a lot about the downturn. So first thing I would say to your comment is that interest rates and inflation are gravity for the economy and gravity is pervasive, right? When inflation and interest rates go up, it affects every part of the economy. So I think we have to be realistic about that. So that's sort of the bad news, if you will. The good news is, in my opinion, in contrast to the 2008, 9, 10 housing downturn, the dynamics are far different. We all talk about the amount of equity people have in their homes and that. But I think the key driver for why there's a softer landing in housing this time is the result of the last crisis was a decade-long underbuilding of housing. Right. We've normally in a decade, we were building about 20 million homes. In the last decade, it's 10 million. So, you know, we just underbuilt for the mm-hmm. demand that's there. I don't think we as an industry should be glib about that. We're going to go through some turbulence here, but I don't believe it's going to be cataclysmic. And I don't believe it's going to be at the depth that it was certainly in 2008, 9, and 10. So to me, that's the good news, if you will, as an industry is people still need to move. And I'll remind everybody too, that you know I'm a data-driven guy. We look at data all the time. Even in the depths of that crisis, we still as an industry transacted four and a half million homes. Mm-hmm. So the industry never grinds to a halt. It just is, you know, up and down. And, and, and I think it'd be hard to make an argument that hasn't been overheated to your point in recent years. So what does all this mean if you're a brokerage owner or, or leader or, or even at, at the team level? And granted, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Moxie here a bit, but we had a, a premise when we developed our product strategy a decade ago. And that is that 
the overwhelming bulk of business for the vast majority of agents comes from the people in their sphere of influence, the people that know, like, and trust them. That's the primary source of transactions and in particular of listings. And so how does that affect where we are today? Well, in an economic downturn, if you're dependent on lead generation as your overwhelming source of business, which is true for some, there's risk in that because you're spending cash up front to get demand you know, inbound, which you then try to convert. The risk that I see for people that are out of balance, and by the way, I'm not here to say that lead generation, you know, cold lead generation is not a part of the business, it is. But if you're out of balance, either as an individual agent, a team, or if you're as a brokerage, you're not counseling and guiding your, your agents in this way, then what you're going to have, I think, is certain agents and certain teams that are going to chase the spiral down, meaning, oh, gosh, my transactions are down. My, my volume is down. I better cut my ad spending. Oh, wait, I've got, I've got less business. So I got to cut more. I got less. And it just becomes this sort of race to the bottom where all along the average agent in our sphere, and you mentioned earlier, we have 400,000 of them. So this isn't some little anecdote. It's, it's across this huge part of the market. Uh, and I would argue also the quality end of the market, by the way, this is the roughly 25% agents on our platform do approaching 40% of the actual transactions. So we're on the quality end of it. The average agent has 400 people in their sphere of influence. So that is a great database, if you will, from which to generate business. Right? If we know that people are moving every 10 years still roughly. That means of those 400 that you know, 40 of them are going to do something this year. And if you simply do the work of marketing to, staying relevant to, in particular doing things like a, an annual uh, property valuation, one of the easiest things to do that, that no one does, if you're doing those things and half of those 40 people that are going to do something this year pick you, that's 20 sides, that's a great living, right? So if you look back, the benefit of history you know, from a decade ago those agents, because we went from 1.4 million to 900,000 agents in that period, but those that stuck with it and did the right things actually thrived and came out very strongly, primarily on the basis of working their spheres, because there's no hard dollar cost there, yeah, right? Yeah. Just do the work and use the systems like your company provides, like my company provides, others out there, obviously. Just do that work. You don't have to spend a bunch of money, particularly going into an economically uncertain period. It's interesting to me how quickly interest rates have risen, but I don't think anybody ever thought that we were going to get down to 2%. So, you know, we are up to 5%, but I can reflect back and I can remember, this was over a decade ago, but I can remember refinancing a home at 6%. And thought it was the best thing ever. Right? <laughs> and now we've been so spoiled and people, I think, in my opinion, people have been buying homes, not based on the price of the home, but based on the amount of the payment. And now all of a sudden that's changing. And that payment for what, you know, if I was buying a million dollar home and that payment was going to be $5,000, that payment might be, you know, seven or 8,000 today. So I've actually seen people have to get requalified to go oh, buy sure. a home and now they can't afford the home they could afford three months ago. And I mean, that's just a three month window. So like, how does this affect what's going to happen in the industry? Well, I think there's a human effect that if you buy a Coke for a dollar, 
and it goes to 50 cents, you're like, wow, that's great. It's 50 cents now, you know, it's way cheaper. And then a little time goes on, it goes to 75 cents and everyone's incensed. Like, oh my God, it went up 50% to 75 cents. Well, yeah, but it was a dollar, right? So I think what's happening here is the human psychology. All these numbers you're talking about are right on, like the 5% interest rate is a good example. All we're talking about here is reversion to mean. In other words, if you go back and look at the charts, basically you have a bubble of things that took place, low interest rates, pricing bubbled up, et cetera. You know, you pump trillions into the economy, you're going to have some effects. So I think what's happening now is simply us getting back on the average line from a long period of time. And so I think our role, first off, the statement I would make, and Matthew Ferrara has a good set of content on this if you want to go check that out. But, you know, we need to be not the Frady cats and the people with the sensational headlines right now as an industry, we need to be helping consumers understand what I just said, which is all we're doing here is kind of getting back to what was a normal market. And by the way, if inventory goes up again a little bit and days on market goes up again a little bit, that's actually a good thing because that leads to a healthier, more sustainable market. So I guess the first thing I would say is our role has to be the thought leaders for the consumer because the media isn't doing a great job of this. You know, the broader media doesn't concentrate on housing. They don't have the nuanced experience that we in our industry have. So we have to be the ones that supply that. And by the way, that comes back to helping someone who owns a home, which is most of the people that an agent knows, having them understand these dynamics, understand what their house is now worth, understand if they did want to transact, what that would mean and how it could go. So I feel like we have to finally step up and be the thought leaders that I believe we all are and, and just take on that mantle and, and be the positive voice for what's happening and what's going to happen from here. I mean, it reminds me of Warren Buffett, you know, everybody, the market crashes. If you look at where the stock market is today, like people where they were a year ago versus where they are today, if they held that stock. They're not real happy today, but Warren Buffett looks at that a little bit differently, right? He looks at yep. it, hey, you know what? This is now the opportunity for me to double down on all of those stocks because I want to buy it when it's low. Totally. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think that's the opposite of how most people think about the stock market, which is I better get out while I still have something. Oh, um, yeah. And that's the mistake. Yeah, no question. Yeah. I mean, the, the quote that I love of his, which is, is the one you're referring to, I think, is be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. And mm -hmm. I think that's so right on. By the way, it happens in businesses too. You talked about the stock market. I worked for a public internet search company in the early 2000s. And that company- Which went, one? It was called Infospace. Oh, uh, I, I, yeah, I was going to guess Infospace. It's yeah. so funny. Infospace actually almost acquired, they wanted to acquire my business at the time, which was Talk to Technology. So. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, so I witnessed that company going, because it was public, I witnessed that company being worth $300 billion, with a B, in 2000, mm -hmm. and at the beginning of 2000, and within... 12 months being worth 150 million. So 300 billion to 150 million, same company the whole time, revenues stable, cash in the bank. So I feel like that is perhaps the most egregious example that I've personally been involved with of the effect you're talking about. But I think yeah. that's where I'm going back to all of us as in particular as agents, but also brokerages and the content we put out 
we have to be the voice of reason and the voice of perspective and the voice of the long-term thinking here because a housing decision is a long-term decision no matter how you slice it, right? At least for yeah. the average consumer. Investors, perhaps different, but for a consumer, they have to have a long-term perspective. That's hard as a consumer to have when you're reading headlines of all kinds of crazy things. So that's, I think, our role is we have to be the balancing point for the conversation. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up because I'm seeing at this point, I'm involved with a lot of teams and a lot of agents, and I'm seeing where some people are now losing their confidence, they're slowing down, and others are sharing with the consumers or the clients why now is a great time and their business is accelerating. And so, I mean, it's really up to you. It's up to your mindset. And are you getting your mindset from yourself and the industry? Are you getting it from the news? Right. right. <laughs> and Absolutely. So, so I, I feel like we do have a duty to actually share that with our clients. So I appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's something, York, that maybe a lot of us don't think about and don't feel we have an obligation to really do that. I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and I want to share an experience with you that as I watch what you've done and you've, you know, you've been in this hired gun and I want to hear in a minute, how did you actually end up coming to Moxie? I want to hear that story because I know when I was in franchise companies and I found myself actually having to step in and run a few of these companies. And, you know, I'd been an entrepreneur and a founder and a startup guy and now all of a sudden, and that's where I'm back to in my world today, right? I'm building something that I'm extremely passionate about. But I had a time uh, over an eight-year stint there where I was buying companies. And I had to step into two of those companies and run those businesses. And I honestly wasn't that passionate about it. And so I didn't have that much fun. Now, I can tell you have a major passion for what you're doing at Moxie. So I want to know, like, how did you come in and, and how did you get a big passion for this industry? Because I don't know if coming in from Microsoft and the world you came in from that, you know, would this really have excited me? I don't know. But yeah, no, it's, your story it's, on that. it's an astute question to ask because you're right. I, I think it's very difficult to, I, I would argue, just do just about anything if you don't have a passion for it, but particularly running a company. I mean, you're the role of leadership one of the, the many asks or demands, I think, of leadership is to be the sort of person at the head of the boat, meaning you have to be willing and able to articulate the direction and so on. And if you don't have a passion for that yourself, it's just very difficult to do, to your point. It, it feels like hard work, Brian, as you pointed out in those businesses you had to step into. And I would have the same thing, by the way, if depending on the nature of the business I'd be asked to run, I it would be an uphill battle for me if I didn't have a passion for it. So to answer your question about how I came to Moxie and why, you know, the why behind why I came to Moxie, my career, I have a computer science degree from way back. So I am a technologist, but most of my career was spent in helping uh, businesses exploit technology for the betterment of that business. And Moxie's the 13th company that I've worked for, all of which have been uh, technology companies prior to that, by the way, with one exception, I actually ran sales and market for the Space Needle for a year in there, uh, which <laughs> as, a, as a Seattle native, you know, that's, a, that's an honor. I was there for the 50th anniversary. So that was a big deal. Um, passion project for me for different reasons. But my point is my entire career has been in technology. And if you look back and I won't, you know, enumerate the entire thing, but if I look back across it, there were essentially 
I was either a consumer of sales enablement and digital marketing technologies because I was a CMO for a number of those roles over my career, or I actually was a producer of it. That's where I referenced the TAS group, the Salesforce partner in the introduction. Our job there was sales methodology software as an add-in to salesforce.com's systems. So my point is I developed a strong passion for the science and the automation that could complement the human element of selling and marketing. And what I saw in Moxie, besides the ownership, because we ultimately spun out of Windermere uh, real estate here in the Northwest more than a decade ago, and uh, the Jacoby family that that founded what is now Moxie, is a, they're an awesome industry family here. So that was important to me. You know, you want to work with people you respect, but the in terms of the what we're doing, it was to me all about trying to generate some of the same effects that I'd seen work so successfully across many industries in the form of, you know, the products we call them are things like CRM and presentation and so on, of course. But what it really is, is about having the computer do the things that computers are good at so that the human can do the thing that only a human can do. And I think one of the industry problems we have, by the way, is a number of voices in our industry in real estate tech specifically And even some of the tech forward brokerages are committing this sin, in my opinion, which is the myth that you can replace the human relationship interaction with technology. And I just don't buy it. I've seen it, you know. Does does anyone buy that now? I mean, I know there was a decade spent trying to prove that that agent (laughs) could be replaced. But does anybody buy that today? I don't know that people do. I, I I hope not to be honest, but I still think there are people on the fringes of, you know, this chat bot and that other thing out there and AI this and machine learning that. I mean, I'm a technologist, as I said, I've got a computer science degree. I I was writing Lisp AI programs in the 80s, right? So I have a keen personal sort of academic appreciation for it. But I think one of the biggest challenges we have as an industry is the misapplication of technology, right? We keep trying to have the computer do what, what the human's doing and the human's trying to do what the computer should be doing. I mean, computers are fundamentally good at two things, keeping track of stuff and reminding humans to do things, right? Think of yeah. your phone. And if you want my sort of pithy state of AI, just go talk to your Alexa. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I think the Alexa technology is fascinating and very practical for certain things, but you can't have a conversation. You can have a free form conversation with your Alexa right. or you can try, but it's not going to go very far. Yeah. So it, might last like, two, it might last two, two questions, right? Right. So <laughs> that's, that's all I would say is, you know, I think people that are looking for a technological silver bullet are, are barking up the wrong tree. And, and especially as we enter this, this economically more challenging time. Just do the basics, right? The best CRM is the one you actually use. Use your CRM. Use your digital marketing products to their fullest. So, yeah, I think it's great advice. I mean, obviously, you know, we're focused on streamlining and automating this industry, but that's all to empower the real estate team owner, real estate broker owner and their agents, right? So bingo, that's it. Yeah. If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. Okay, so how big was Moxie when you joined? Was it just kind of an idea, just spinning off of Windermere? Pretty much. I mean, when I joined in 2012, Windermere was the only customer at that time. 
And we had about 30 some folks that had, basically it was a technology unit within the brokerage that got spun out to create what yeah. is now Mox. And I have to give full credit to the Jacoby family and Obi Jacoby, a name that a lot of people recognize from Windermere on this because Obi foresaw this coming phase. Because keep in mind, Seattle is not only a tech forward market, but it's also where Zillow and Redfin and now many others, but those two companies started here in the Seattle area around 2007. And so what Obi foresaw was that making that technology was going to play an increasingly important role in our industry, which has obviously been proven right. But specifically that you had to have uh, a software company not try to be part of a brokerage because brokerages, number one, don't really understand how to develop software, just like software companies don't understand how to run a brokerage as well. Right. And secondly, that you could make better products become way better faster if you amortize that across a whole industry of good ideas and interactions. And so that was really the genesis of how the decision was made to, to spin that department out to become Moxie. So I think that is so self-aware. I'm actually very impressed by that because if you look at the number of brokerages that have attempted to become technology companies and still are since then <laughs> and still are, but now are wondering if it was the right move or not. Absolutely. And I, I have to say, I think OB, that, that was like a really, really, really forward thinking, self-aware, smart move to make. In yeah, my I, I couldn't agree more. I think Obi is, is one of the quiet giants in our industry. And I, and I wish that that people would pay more attention to the moves that that Windermere makes, this being one of them, because uh, I couldn't agree more. It was a very, and keep in mind, that decision got made in the midst of the downturn we talked about. Mm -hmm. But the decision yep. to do that was 2010. The entity was spun out in early 2011, and I came in 12. So yes, very, very forward thinking and, and has proven itself out. And I think we'll still see more dare I say, wreckage uh, around that for brokerages that have mistakenly thought that they can and should build their own technology for their own internal purpose. Yeah. It was a bad idea then. It's a bad idea now. Obviously, CSU is not a CRM. We are everything but a CRM in the real estate space and also not an e-signature platform. But when I look at the industry, I really see two CRMs, you being one of the two, that are focused on brokerages. And then I see about a dozen CRMs that are focused on real estate teams. So you have really capitalized on this and congratulations in, in going out to these brokerages. And I think I think I said you have 400,000 agents. Obviously, 400,000 is a very round number. I don't know how many agents you guys have on your platform, but somewhere in that neighborhood. And then you have 290 Moxonians, which I think is a really fun name that you gave your team members there. So like... From that idea to where you guys are today, congratulations. Where are you going now? Like, what is your next move, York, sure. as you look at like what the industry is doing? Yeah. Well, thank you for the, the kind words. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a road, but we've had some good success. And, and it's been also with the ongoing support and input from our customers, the brokerages and their agents that we serve. So in other words, it takes a village. I don't think any one company has the answer to everything or, or importantly, can build everything. So to answer your question about where things are headed from here, we want to do more of what we've been doing and serve even more as a true 
platform for our customers and for the industry. And let me define that. So in terms of doing more of what we're doing, we recently acquired ActivePipe as a good example of this, one of the premier lead nurturing technologies. So you'll see us continue to build our own as well as acquire certain selective products. But really to me, and you're, you guys are a great example of this, Brian, at CSU, and you've done this for some time, which is to participate in the Moxie Cloud Partner Program. So our view is, and it, I think it's, a, it's not something that I invented personally. It's from my experiences over my career, Salesforce that we talked about, Microsoft even before that. Even IBM, I didn't work for IBM, but I worked for IBM Partners in the 80s. You know, no one of these huge successful companies can produce everything and the best of everything. And even if they could, that isn't necessarily going to be the best for every individual customer out there. And so it takes a village. It takes a, an ecosystem of products that can come together. And you guys are a great example of this. As you said, you're not a CRM. We're a CRM, but we don't have the capabilities you have. So it's a sort of you got chocolate, my peanut butter thing from the old Reese's ads, right? It's right. it's the combination of the two that, and again, not for 100% of customers, but for a large swath of customers, they're going to be able to combine what you have with what we have in a way that is magical for their business. So we have over 150 companies like yours now that are part of this program the, the Moxie Partner Program that integrates the data and the workflows that exist. And so I really feel like that's kind of the next phase. We talk a lot as an industry about the end-to-end consumer experience. Well, what that is for a given consumer in a given market at a given brokerage with a given set of other services around it for mortgage title insurance, right? There's no one template for how all that's going to work. So I feel like having a true open platform and us serving not as the only participant in that, but certainly a strong voice in helping the industry come together and helping our customers understand the power of what's there in this ecosystem already and how that will grow over time. To me, that's what we all have to get on with as an industry because the consumer expectation is rising. You know, Zillow talks about a super app, for example, but it's the same concept really of bringing together the right technologies and the right services behind those technologies to produce a better consumer experience. And I think that's to me, what I see is the next piece. And, and it's not a fad. I mean, we started with the Moxie Cloud, opening it up and creating this ecosystem five years ago. So it's taken us a while to get those 150 partner companies. And again, I give you credit because you saw this early on and became a partner very early on in our program. But it's really the industry coming together around that, that I think is going to define the next phase. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's critical that every system in the space is open API and allows the user to use whatever platforms they want to build what's best for them. All right. Any last words of advice on the real estate side before we jump into some personal questions for you? (laughs) The only thing I would say is don't confuse strategy with tactics and execution. If you haven't defined your strategy, and I've talked in my own little video segments and stuff about having a strategy map is a common mechanism. You can Google that and figure out a strategy map as one of several mechanisms that's helpful here. But the point is this, have a plan for your business, you know, plan the work and work the plan. And of course, the only thing you know about a plan the day you finish it is that it's wrong because, you know, the world is going to change and stuff's going to happen. But I feel like so many and this is not just true in real estate, by the way, I think so many businesses and particularly small businesses, which many real estate businesses are in the small business category that drive off the cliff, avoiding the pothole. 
And so I, I would just encourage everybody to redouble your understanding of your definition of your own strategy for your own business, even if it's an individual agent, right? You should have a strategy for what you're trying to accomplish and then stay true to that and bob and weave with the market and all this stuff going on, but don't, you know, don't write it down, put it in the drawer, right? And paste it to your monitor or have it on your phone because it's in turbulent times, strategy becomes that much more important. Yeah. Well said. I love the way you said that, you know, your plan is wrong as soon as you get it done. And, (laughs) and it reminded me of failure. Like so many people are afraid to fail, but honestly, failure, everyone fails and failure is just an opportunity to learn, right. And shift and change. And I would say that's true for your plan as well. Like as soon as you get it done, the industry is changing. You're going to have to modify your plan on an ongoing basis. And if you're not, that's when true failure happens is the day you stop because it's all about execution and changing and updating that plan. So thanks for that advice. I hear that you and I have some similar hobbies. So I'd love to hear about your hobbies and what you like to do in your free time. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm a, a motorhead of the worst order. Uh, if, if it's got a motor, I'm probably about it. Never been a big team sports guy, for example. I, I respect and appreciate how many people love that genre of things. Uh, it's just not my deal. So I'm a big car guy, but more importantly, I'm a big motorcycle guy and uh, of all kinds. I've got a, got a, a disease and an understanding wife. And uh, also I'm a, a small aircraft pilot. I, I uh, enjoy the, I guess I find the two similar. I, I think they both require a level of skill and focus that is for me, therapeutic, you know, kind of the rest of, of the world disappears when you're either riding or flying for me, because you have to be so concentrated on the task at hand, but it also gives in my mind, a great sense of freedom that I personally appreciate. You know, you've probably seen the shirt or the bumper sticker that says you never see a motorcycle parked in front of a psychiatrist's office. Yeah. So to me, it's, it's the combination of the freedom and the focus that it requires that is very personally freeing, I guess. Okay. So I am not yet a pilot. We'll see if that happens. I don't know. I Uh, I encourage it. But I am a huge fan of dirt bikes, street bikes, and especially cars. So huge Porsche fan, huge Harley fan and and dirt bikes. And so like specifically, you're a car lover. What is your passion? I'm a kind of dual track. I'm I'm a big Chevy muscle car guy, but I'm also a BMW fan. I, I just, my dad was from Munich and, and I also just appreciate when we talked earlier about grit and specifically the passion component of grit, I feel like BMW's history is rife with that. I mean, this week is actually the 50th anniversary of the BMW M brand. You know, the originally their motorsport brand, but now of course has yep. become a whole part of the company. Um, so you look at 50 years of refine, 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 you know, back to strategy, stay true to the core principles. I just have a tremendous appreciation for that. And, and since you're a Harley guy, I would encourage, and you'll know this, but I think for the audience, even if you have no connection to motorcycling or, or the Harley brand, go look at how that brand and the products under it have been curated. Because I think there's some great lessons of branding and marketing that we can adopt for our own businesses here in real estate, it's very, very much not about the product. 
and everything about how the product makes you feel, how it accomplishes the aspirations and supports the aspirations that you have for adventure, for connection to your family members and your friends and a group you might be a part of. You know all this, Brian, but I'm just saying, I think even if you have no interest in motorcycles, go look at Harley's, go read their mission statements, their history, how they talk about what they accomplish. It's not about here's the horsepower on the motorcycle. It's all about how the, the results that it creates for people. Yeah. And I feel like we can learn a lot as an industry from that because really we're in the same game. We're trying to help people fulfill their dreams as it regards housing. It's yeah. not about you know the interest rate and the thing. Yes, that's a part of it, but it's not about those things. Yeah, I have so much respect for those companies. And I would say Harley and Porsche and BMW, they probably all have people that have tattoos of <laughs> yes. their brand on their body. So, when, you know, when our customers or when our team members talk about how much they love Sisu, I'm always like, you know, I, I'll know we're at that level as soon as I start seeing these tattoos on people's bodies. No you know? question. <laughs> and in the other lesson in it, I've said it before, but you're right about Porsche is probably the arguably the best example of this, which is staying true to a principle and then just refining it forever. And the 911, you know, the Porsche that when you think of Porsche is, you know, for those of you that are less familiar with the brand, the 911 is the, the Porsche that everyone thinks of. That car was introduced in the mid sixties. So, and it's still a recognizable shape today. So after literally decades of refinement, it's been honed into this incredible product, but still harkens back to its original strategy, back to strategy. Yeah. And I think they're just great lessons for all of us in that. And just like BMW honing in on the M series, they've honed in on the GT, right? So yeah, it's in the naturally aspirated motors that, you know, won't exist much longer. So that's, I think that's that's part of, part of my passion there. So what is your favorite place to visit York? If you're going to go on vacation. Well, I kind of already alluded to it. I'm a huge fan of Bavaria, specifically uh, as a city goes, at least Munich, but that part of the world, because my mom was also Swiss, which adjoins Bavaria there. And I just love the combination of the engineering mindset, these passionate companies and products and for doing things right. But yet also the relatively, at least within the scheme of Germany, the relaxed, you know, it's where Oktoberfest takes place. It's a more agrarian, beautiful countryside. So I love it. Here in the U.S., there's a town actually in our state here in Washington state, because I live in the Seattle area, about two hours east on the, on the eastern slope of the Cascade Mountain Range here, there's a town called Leavenworth, which is a sort of a, a tourist town facsimile of, of a Bavarian town. And it's pretty cool. And so I love spending time there too. In particular, you know, riding motorcycles to get from here to there through the mountains Definitely. A, that's kind of the utopian thing. I don't feel the need when I have free time to necessarily get on an airplane, by the way. I mean, we do go to Munich see family, but I think we live almost anywhere in the U.S. We have such access to amazing everything. You know, to explore your own backyard. That's what I encourage people to do. And, and I would argue get on a motorcycle because there's no finer way. You know this, Brian. There's no finer way to explore than on a motorcycle. Yeah. Great. I love it. It's interesting. Utah actually has a little town called Midway that is all Swiss. So Swiss people, Swiss names. 
Zermatt, you know, all this nice. stuff. Nice, so. I'll be right over. I didn't, anyway, I wasn't aware. Uh, that's cool. I get to take my family. We're going to hit Europe this summer again. Thankfully, now that COVID is to the point where we can do that. And I'll be in Switzerland again in a few weeks. One of my favorite places in the world. Oh, so. wonderful. Well, yeah, we're headed over in September. So we'll, uh, that's awesome. Good for you. I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah. So anyway, York, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a lot of fun and it's fun talking to you as always and learning from you. And if somebody wants to reach you and has questions for you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Sure. Well, before I say that though, thank you, Brian. You do a lot for our industry and hosting events like or podcasts like this is a key piece of that. So thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be a, a part of your program here. Best place to reach me is real simple. It's york at moxieworks.com. There's no E in moxieworks. So people feel free to email me there. And I attend a lot of our industry events. I'll be at Inman. I'll be at Gathering the Eagles here shortly. So, you know, always happy to connect in person. And thankfully we're able to do that again. So happy to do yeah. that. Yeah. Awesome. Everyone, thanks for joining us on the show again this week. I hope you enjoyed today as much as I did. And we'll catch you next week again on the Grit Podcast. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your setup fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIT, the real estate growth mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.